Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've called our study in the book of Hebrews, the study as a whole, Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. We actually began this study in the beginning of September of 2016. Can you think back that far? At the time, we were in an election year, and uh, all the smart money was on Hillary Clinton winning the election because who would vote for this guy who seemed half-crazed some of the times and how he handled things? Nobody really got a measure on how angry the electric was and how tired they were of, of what was happening in Washington. They asked for a change. And uh, Donald Trump surprised everybody. September of 2016, the Cubs were in the process of winning their first, heading to their first World Series, which they won in 108 years. If this year is any indication, it'll be another 108 years before we see them back in that place. But they got one, they got one in before, uh, before I died, at least. So my father never lived to see that day. So it's good. It's, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. But those were the things that were, those were, the things that were going on uh, in the world around us. On a more local scale... We were aware that, and Miles was leading us in this and did another great job. At that time as a church, we needed to begin the discussion and lay the groundwork. We're going to have to replace Josh, who left us this spring, and how do we find a new, uh, a new uh, pastor for our youth and for worship? And God has been gracious, has he not? Were you not blessed by the ministry of Evan this morning and leading this group, huh? We thank God for that, don't we? We were just at the front end of that then, and now here we are this morning. We just take it for granted that, man, we're blessed to have Evan and, and his lovely wife, Rochelle, here, and they've had Logan. But, hey, that was back then when that was starting. That was a long time ago, September of 2016. And so I find myself asking, maybe rather than calling this timeless certainties for uncertain times... It was so long ago we started, maybe it should have been timeless certainties for endless times. This thing is endless in terms of how long it's taking us to get through. We will actually stay with the book of Hebrews through the month of December. And uh, then I trust in the new year the Lord will move us into some other things. As we've moved through this book, we've noted a repeated exhortation to stay focused on Christ till the end. Much like we just sang it. How wonderful was that? Guys of my generation, was it not fun to see how that into the, into the Christ is enough? Is to see how right put into that are the words from I've decided to follow Jesus. Okay, right? How fun was that? Well, that was awesome, man. That is great. Take that old song that sounds from the late 60s, early 70s, where we'd sing it around campfires with acoustic guitars and bump it up a bit. That was awesome, man. I appreciated that. But uh, I've decided to follow Jesus to the end. And that's what the writer to the book of Hebrews is exhorting the readers to because it appears, and it's not like he ever says it directly, but it's what we infer from the types of exhortations he gives that among his readers there's a possibility that there are some who want to return to the old covenant system. 
They've heard enough about Christ. They've heard enough to, to gain a sense as to this is what this is really about. But they've decided, no, I think I'm going back. I'm going to stick with the old way. And he's cautioning them, do not do that. Rather than turn, returning to the old, see it through to the end. Follow Jesus to the very, very end. Because that's where we need to be. Because of their potential wavering, the writer went through great lengths to contrast, and we saw this, we're not going to relitigate it, to contrast the purpose and the value of the old covenant with the purpose and the value of the new covenant. The old, and I don't know if I've ever described it this way before, and I hope I don't offend anybody by this description. I want to try it out here. The old covenant, we might say, was a placeholder It was a placeholder pointing to the new covenant. So while it existed, it was letting us know as it pointed to the new covenant that this is not what we're looking for. It is only this thing here in temporary time until the fulfillment of what this points to comes along. The new covenant is the fulfillment of what the old covenant was holding a place for and what it was pointing to. And in this new covenant, one of the biggest contrasts that that the writer has been making is as a placeholder, as this thing looking forward to the new covenant, the old covenant could in and of itself accomplish nothing. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They simply pictured a substitutionary death that one day would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were placeholders until Christ came. And so they could accomplish nothing permanent on their own. But when the new covenant came, something permanent could happen. Because in the context of the new covenant, he said there's, there's two immutable things the writers told us that came in with the new covenant. A better priesthood, because it was an eternal priest, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. A better priesthood and a better covenant. Because in his blood, real forgiveness could be offered that the blood of bulls and goats could not accomplish. So this was the new covenant, effective in fulfilling what the old covenant was holding a place for and pointing to. And together, this new priesthood and this new covenant, the writer said they they combined to create this anchor for the soul. Therefore, stay connected to Jesus Christ at all cost. See this thing through to the end because we don't live for the temporal results that anything in this world can offer. We live and we look to that holy city, to that place when the work of redemption has been done and Jesus Christ is glorified and every knee has bowed and and every tongue has confessed. We say, that's what we're looking to. And when that time comes... We need to make sure we're on the right side of the ledger on that one, that we don't abandon this work that God is doing and uh, never find our name written in the Lamb's book of life. So this this is the general picture of what Hebrews has been encouraging us and talking to us about. 
And then chapter 13 comes, the final chapter. It offers some encouragements, if you will, as to how we live out the truths that have been developed for chapters 1 to 12. In verses 7 to 16, there's one last contrast between the two covenants and some applications pertinent to those. We started looking at these, and we're kind of working our way through that little segment in the middle of the chapter backwards. <coughs> Excuse me. In that last week, we looked at verses 10 to 16, and this week, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. In fact, we're going to stay camped on these verses for a few weeks. And that's where we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. I want to start with the second verse and continue to work our way back. The second verse being verse 9. He says, Do not be carried about with strange or foreign doctrines. The word to be carried about is the word literally means to be led alongside. The vision that it creates in my mind, the picture, one is you could think of somebody just putting a leash on a dog and making sure they can take this dog wherever they want. They can lead him. But more in my mind, I think of a larger animal, a larger livestock, that you maybe just put some type of a lead rope on them, but behind them, you're constantly tapping them with something towards their tail end, not necessarily to brutalize them, but just to keep them moving. And then you direct them with this. Now you understand in this imagery, we're the ones with the leash on. (laughs) We're the ones with something around our neck, and we're the ones being pushed. And what's pushing us is false doctrine. And he says, don't get caught up in that. Because that doctrine will lead you astray. So you need to have clear understanding as to who Jesus Christ is, so that you will continue to follow that which we need to be following. Get clear on what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, get grounded. It's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And I believe that's a reference back to the old covenant system where after they would sacrifice animals, then they would have particular ways in which they needed to eat it and divvy it out, and all of these instructions that were given. But he's saying those were just placeholders. The real place where something actually happens is in Jesus Christ, and that is a work of grace on God's behalf. Yes, that picture of a substitutionary sacrifice was fulfilled in him, but his blood is able to save us from sin. It's good enough for God to say the penalty for our sin has been paid. And what we must do is simply believe it and receive it. There's nothing we can add to what Christ has done. It is a gift to be received, but we have to humble ourselves to receive it. We can add nothing to it. Get grounded in grace. That put in contrast to this idea of foods and all of these laws that needed to be fulfilled. 
And he gives us this significant truth just prior to that that will prevent us from being led astray. A simple statement of reality that we've already repeated for you a few times in this service because we want it to come home is that Jesus Christ, verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a magnificent truth that is, that is laid out there in all of its simplicity. Now, if you were to look at, at its original language, it says this. Jesus Christ, yesterday and today the same, and unto the ages. If you just take the words and translate them, of course, the translators for us in our English text, they got to make it make sense to our minds and how we think. But I'm, I'm letting you know that now, that it says, Jesus Christ, yesterday, today the same, and unto the ages. And the word ages there is literally eons. Hang on to that for a moment. Jesus Christ does not change. He is who he is. He is immutable. We were given two immutable things, a better priesthood, a better covenant. We find out he in his very being is immutable. He is unchanging. So however we perceived him before, or however he was before, whether we perceived him accurately or not. Maybe it's just better to say however, however he was before our time, however we see him now, however we perceive, however it is, he hasn't changed. There's nothing about him that changes. And particularly as he relates to this thing called time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, it could be that the writer in, in, in would, is saying, well, yesterday, meaning the 25th, and today, the 26th, and then on into the age, he's the same. That would be true. But the writer has something more expansive in his thinking than just literally yesterday, the, next, the, next cal- or the last calendar day. What I'd like to suggest what he's getting at is simply this. And we're going we're gonna to look at these three elements yesterday, today, forever in the next three weeks because each one is so replete with truth that we need to understand about who Christ is so we stay focused on him that we want to deal with that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. What I'd like to say is this. Christ is the same as he was before time. As he was before time. Time as we know it. Christ, the scriptures are so clear on this, friends. Christ was eternally pre-existent before he entered the dimension of our time. How do we know that? Well, there's some scriptures that make that so clear for us. John chapter 1. And these are all things that you have heard because we are intentional in exalting the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to understand this. And so this is stuff that we have seen before because it is what we base our very commitment to following Jesus on. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. John begins his gospel by saying that before this world existed, Jesus already existed. In his very being, he, he was everything he would ever be. And that he was the Word, he identifies him as the Word, and he identifies him as God himself. Identifies his very deity in that, John 1.1. 1, 1. And then later as we get into the book of John, Jesus always, of course, is in this, in, in this constant ongoing discussion, if you will, with the religious leaders because they don't know what to do with him. They want to hang on to their foods and their rules and their regulations and the system which is nice and tidy for them. And Jesus is coming in as the fulfillment of this placeholder, and they're not buying it. So they're trying to process this thing. And we're stepping into the middle of a discussion, but in John chapter 8, picking it up in verse 56, Jesus makes this outlandish statement about himself. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus had him, uh, hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. A magnificent truth that he declares. John declared it, and Jesus owned it for himself, and that is that Christ, eternally preexistent by nature. And one of the things we might want to notice, because we've referenced this a number of times, Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, I was also. Here's Abraham, and before him, I was. So at some point, I came into being before Abraham. Jesus said something that is far more significant than that. Before Abraham was, I am. And immediately, you notice the Jews took up stones to to stone him. They're going to kill him. Why? He's just claimed to be God, and they get it. And that takes us back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is leading the people of Israel, or is called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt And before God sends him to him, he asks God, well, who am I going to say sent me? When they ask, what's his name? And God says, I am Jehovah, the one who is eternally self-existent. Jesus makes that claim. They're ready to kill him. Then he proves the claim because he just hides himself in the midst of them and exits. And he does a miracle right there to validate what he has just said. Christ is the same as he was before time. Now, if you noticed as we looked at John 1, 1, it also referenced to Christ, to what? He is the creator. Without him, nothing was made of everything that was made. And Colossians uh, also reveals that to us. The book of Colossians in chapter 1 and verses 15 to 17, we get this. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Magnificent truth that Jesus Christ not only created what we see around us, but that he also sustains what we see around us. And then, this is kind of interesting. I want you to see this. Notice where Hebrews began. Hebrews chapter 1. We read this back in September of 2016. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now catch this has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that just like Colossians and John say, everything that was made uh, is, is at his doing. He made the worlds. But a little closer examination of that statement I find absolutely fascinating. Because the writer... Here, at the outset of the book of Hebrews, establishes that Jesus Christ made the worlds. But the word he uses, which we have translated into the English as worlds, is a word you've already heard this morning called eons. Wow. You see what the writer to Hebrews has just done for us? He starts out by saying he is this one... God is revealing himself through this one as this one who created, in the English we've got worlds, but in the original language it was eons, which uh, perhaps a word that helps us encapsulate both is this is, uh, is era, if you will. When we think of eons, we think of this passage of time. So the stuff that was created in order to have, a, 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 as matter was created, was brought in, we began the process of time or time uh, allowing a platform for matter to exist. And so the translators are trying to say, okay, here's, here's what the, the writer appears to be getting at. But the, it's one of those words that just kind of flows one thing into another as you try and wrap your arms around it. But here he begins by saying he created the worlds, the eons, at the very beginning, and then says here, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and into the eons. So what are we getting at? Here's the point. Jesus Christ, in the time, in, the, in, in, that, in that context, before time as we know it, in this created entity of this sequence of events with the universe around us, prior to this ever existing, Jesus was there in the eons past. And when this thing that we know as time, because it's a sequence of events among this physical uh, entity that we have in our universe, when it ends, and it's going to be changed, when it ends as we know it, Jesus will be there again. And there will have been nothing changing in him in the meantime. That's how steadfast he is. The same yesterday 
the eons before creation. Today, the time frame in which we experience this creation and forever, the eons after creation. He exists from before the time as we know it to beyond the time as we know it and doesn't change in any of it. This is the one whom we worship this morning as we were led by a magnificent praise band to lift him up and to exalt him. We grasp this, we grasp this truth about who he is, and we don't get led astray. We stay focused and say, that's the one I'm following, and I'm in for the duration I'm in regardless of what my temporal circumstances look like here because I understand who he is. The same before time. He'll be the same after time. He's the same right now. And he's calling to me. And he says, walk with me. Follow me. Christ is the same as he was before time. That's yesterday. And that makes this our time. I just love the Christmas holidays. I love the lights. I love the food. I love the visiting that takes place. I love all of it. The music that is ours, that is going to play on radios endlessly. I love it because, one, I understand who Jesus is, who it was that was born in that major, and I love it because it, it's our time. Timeless certainties for uncertain times. When we began this, it was uncertain times in our world. It is still uncertain times in our world, is it not? We can look around us and we can see the craziness of what's going on in the world around us. We go, man, Lord, I can't figure this out. But there's one thing I can figure out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And during the course of this season, we have reminders of his birth everywhere. Even a secular, unbelieving world is aware that something happened. And what I would like to encourage us as we move through these next three weeks, friends, is is simply that this is our time. We don't have to wait until after Christmas to see what we got, first of all. Did you do this as kids? I remember this as kids. After Christmas, whatever the first chance I had to hang out with my friends, what did we do? We sat there and we listed with each other. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. It was a good Christmas because I got this, I got this, I got this, and I got this. Remember doing that? We did. Don't have to wait. Don't have to wait till December 26th and say, hey, something kind of cool came our way, didn't it? No, we can say it right now. We can say it right now that Jesus has come. The most magnificent gift that has ever been given. And it's our time to talk about it. Because people are open to it and they see it all around them. So we don't have to wait until after Christmas to see what we got. And we don't ever need to be ashamed of what we got. We've got some, uh, remember, you guys remember slides, right? Remember you used to take pictures on slides? 
And then you sit there and you put them in that projector and a third of them would be upside down or sideways as you tried to have your slideshow, right? But that's, we used to do slides. Now, there's these two pictures that are virtually part of our Barrett family lore that if I were to mention them to any of my brothers or sisters, they'd know exactly the pictures I was talking about. I don't have them in my possession, so I can't show them to you. Not that you want to see a picture of my sister and my brother when they were young. But one picture that... When we would show it, we would just all talk about it. My mom would explain. My sister, Carol, with a record album of... Go ahead, Carol Dahl. Who's on the record album? You want to guess? Did you say Elvis? She said Elvis. Yes, give that girl a Cupid doll. Yes. And my sister was this little, uh, I don't know, adolescent, whatever. Elvis was popular. She thought he was most amazing. And she just reveled. And having this picture or, or this album, and Elvis is on the front of it, and I've got to take a picture of this. My mom would say how much she just loved that album. There's another picture that my brothers and sisters would all know exactly what I mean. It's when my, my oldest brother, a little bit younger, he's a little boy, and he's got a cowboy hat on, a big smile, and two six shooters on his hip. And when that picture would come up, my parents would just start talking about how much he loved those six shooters and that cowboy hat and how hard he worked at having a good death scene. Do you know what I mean? He gets shot and how he goes down and rolls over and he was excellent because you had to have a good death scene if you were a cowboy and you, and you got shot. Oh, these were wonderful, wonderful things and they just cherished them. I don't have a memory of anything I cherished as a Christmas gift. I don't know if it's just because I came along and ran them out of money. I don't know what it was. You know, in those Operation Christmas Child boxes, the instructions say, if you can, include a wow gift and fill it in with other things. I never got a wow gift in my life. And so there would be these times when the day after Christmas, we go share with our friends what we got. And I knew every year that my friends got way better things than I got. And so there was a bit of shame. We were raised in shame in my family, so, you know, you guys might think, why would you be ashamed? that That was the way we worked in our family. So there was shame that the gifts weren't all that impressive because mostly I got trinket gifts. Oh, my friends. It's our time. And there's no reason anywhere to be ashamed to proclaim that we got the best gift ever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he came for me. That He would be mine and I could be his. That's a gift that we can speak of without any sense of shame because no gift will ever compare to it. You see, Jesus Christ offers the only timeless certainty for uncertain times. 
what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, what he has done for us in the eternal work of his, of his sinless blood shed on our behalf, what he has done for us by the promise that there is a holy city that is before us, that there is an eternal life that awaits us, could happen only through him and through his blood, and everything else we put our faith in will fail in the end. Other than that, he offers the only timeless certainty for uncertain times. And again, that makes this our time. So here's what I'd like to encourage us for the course of this season. And it has to become very personal. If I told you to do this, 95% of us would say, eh, it doesn't fit for me. It might fit for you, Gary. It doesn't fit for me. So I'm asking us to take a little time to think through this, this one thought. That each of us would find our way, what works for us, our way to speak the name of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible this Christmas season. To speak his name. I don't know how that's going to work out for each one of us. I don't know what it's going to be at a family gathering when we have, when we have uh, family members there who are, they're not believers. I don't know what it means when we're in the, in the checkout line at, at one of the local stores. And here's this person, they've just taken, we got Christmas wrapping and all this stuff. How are we going to bring Jesus' name? We don't have to stop and share the gospel with them in its entirety, but we have no reason to be ashamed that we don't bring his name present into that because it's all around us. So why don't we just speak his name into as many people's lives as we can? We just have to find out a way that works for us. Say, Lord, how would you have me? It might be a one-sentence thing that we've shared a hundred times before the season is done. We go, I'm comfortable in saying it this way, but I took the time to think it through. You understand what I'm getting at? Do you hear what I'm saying? Because you see, friends, Christ is the same as he was before time, and that makes this our time. So let's talk about it. Father, thank you for the magnificence of this truth, this truth, which if if grasped that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that if we will hold it, if we will understand it, if we will embrace it, Father, that it will keep us focused. It will prevent us from going astray. It will keep us looking for that end that you have in mind for us, so that when we sing Uh, that we've decided to follow Jesus, that we mean it because we understand who he really is, that he's worthy of our complete devotion. Oh, Father, I pray that we'll accept this fun concept before us this morning that each of us could individually think of a way that we can personally speak the name of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible this Christmas season, for indeed it is our time. I ask it in his precious name. Amen.